we have ended the series on Acts, Walk, the way, walk This Way, uh, and we're moving into just a short series on giving this week and next week. And if you're a visitor, I know what you're thinking. I knew it. This church is like all the other churches talking about giving, wanting my money. Come on, people. But that is what is going to happen today. All right? Just know. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. At River State Church, we believe giving is about freedom, that God wants us to have freedom in every area of our life, and that giving is an area of worship. And when we experience freedom, we are able to worship. We're able to give graciously, without fear, without anxiety, and all of those things that we can experience as a result of money. And so if you start feeling shame or guilt, that is not from the Lord. And that is not what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to communicate. Uh, this is an area of my life, and I think of everyone's life, that we don't arrive at, that we continue to grow in. And so I hope these next few talks are going to encourage you, that they're going to bless you, and that you're going to experience God's love and his forgiveness through them. I think a lot of, though, a lot of the pain uh, comes from places of people misquoting or misunderstanding what Scripture says. Today we're going to look at a Scripture uh, briefly that says the love of money, love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that's often said, and people say, you see, money. If you have money, you're getting ready. There's lots of roots of evil in your life, and so you need to stop having it. If you have money, it's bad if you're a Christian. But that's not what the verse says. It says if you love money... If you desire, you have an unnatural desire for money, that is what is bad because you begin to worship the things, other things. You begin to worship money and what it brings you. And we're going to talk about that today. And again, this is an area, folks, that we as the church, as the leadership of the church, we've really messed up. And we uh, have wounded people. We've hurt people. Um, and our, des- our desire is good. But the reality is that in this room, there are a lot of people who have been hurt. And again, my hope for you is that you'll be healed. Our hope for you is that you'll be set free. Um, You know, the Father says, if you seek me um, and you trust me, and this is hard, if you seek me and you trust me, I will provide for you. I will take care of you. But that's hard, isn't it? It's hard because of things that have happened in our life, wounds that we have. Um, There's a a story I want to share about my life. Um, whenever I was little, I had, both my parents were alcoholics, and um, I would sit in the back room with my dad, and he would drink, and I would feel sorry for him, because he would be back there and drink, and he wasn't mean or abusive or anything, he was actually the opposite, he was very loving, and would say things like, you're the apple of my eye, like, you're amazing, I love you, I care for you, and um, would just be over the top and trying to express his love for me. And I think he did this probably because he felt guilty. Um, But what happened was uh, that because he was drunk when he would say those things to me, I didn't trust him. I didn't believe that those words were true. And the result of that is that when I hear my Father in heaven say those things to me, I don't trust him. And I struggle to believe that he does love me, that I am his beloved, and that it doesn't matter what I do, that my value is just because of I'm his child, right? And so the way this manifests when it comes to giving is if we don't trust the Father, we feel like 
I have to take care of myself, right? And we hold back areas of our heart and our life, not because we choose to or we want to, but because we have these things in our life. The enemy has attacked us, he's wounded us, and it makes it difficult for us to trust him, for us to give graciously, trusting that he'll provide for us, trusting that his words are true. And so some people hold back, and that's the manifestation of how this works. Other people, like me, um, I don't struggle with that. I give money away like it's like water, okay? Um, But the reason I do it is out of that same wound, is that because um, I didn't believe those words of my father, um, that I'm loved, that I'm cared for, and that he'll provide for me these things, I spend money to get people to love me. I spend money... To, to have things that will make me feel valued, that people will like. I do things in my life as a result of that wound that uh, is, just, is just as damaging, just as hurtful to myself and, and, and other people in my lives because it's not genuine. It's not genuine. And uh, someone told me one day, a uh, counselor that I go to, I go to lots of therapy for this kind of stuff, and uh, the counselor said, Antley, you are in the worst possible job you could ever be in. Because you want people to like you, you want people, you want to please people, and there is no way that you're going to be able to please 400 people. You know, there's no way. And so what's happened is God has used this broken area of my life, this wound that I have, um, to, to redeem and to help me learn to trust him. He's used you for that. He has used you and me being challenged by you, you coming to me, and instead of me just kind of throwing in what you want to hear he said Antley you have to trust me you have to trust me it's not the voice of man that you lead from it's my voice and so you know and he's given me Laura who's on kind of the opposite side from me and he showed me so every single person every woman I've dated every girl I've dated prior to Laura I cheated on every single one for the same reason I want I need affection and you're not enough so I go more you're not enough and I go more And he has given me someone that has shown me I am faithful and you can trust me. And she has been. And that's just another example of how these wounds, these wounds well up in us. So as we look at this today, know that that there are things in your life that have been done to you that you didn't choose to have been done to you. And I think God's going to uncover some of those wounds in your heart. He's going to use this area of money to do so. And that you're going to find freedom. You're going to become aware of brokenness that you didn't know you had. And we're going to learn to be vulnerable, right, as a church. We have to learn to be vulnerable. We have to learn to be honest and broken with our brothers and sisters. We have to learn to confess our sins, to, be, to tell people I'm sorry when we hurt them, right? That's how freedom comes. And money is one of the areas we hide in our life. Money is one of the areas that we, we don't want to share with other people. And as a result of it, being in the dark and remaining in the dark, we don't receive healing. So that's what we're going to do the next two weeks is find healing, not only in the area of finances, but in the air, any area of our life that have caused us to not trust the Father. This is in First Timothy 6 to 10. Oh, man, I, wasn't worried. I was a little worried about how all that was going to go. Um, it wasn't in my notes, okay? But godliness, this is 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Father, come. We need you to open our ears to this truth. We need you to protect us from the lies of the enemy. And we need you to bring us freedom in this area so we can experience the life and the love you have for us. Amen. So this, there's two sections to kind of these verses in Timothy. I'm going to teach on one this week and one next week. This week is for people who, who think, who don't have money and they crave it. The next week is about people who have money and how they should leverage it. Okay, and so, um, but it's for everyone. It's both, both of these talks are for everyone, okay? You might not think that. You hear one of those, you're like, oh, I'm not that one. I'm just going to listen to the next week or whatever. Um, but let's begin with this. In verse 9, it says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Okay, desire is a good thing, okay? When God provides blessings for us, to, to take care of us, uh, and, and he comforts us through the things of the world, that, th- those are good things. Those aren't bad things. There are stories all throughout the Bible of God pouring out physical blessings on people to demonstrate his love for them, to bring them comfort, and to bring them a lot of the things that our flesh desires. Okay, So those aren't bad things. What's bad is the desire to have these things that is unhealthy. That these, we go to these things, we seek these things in an unhealthy way. Okay, and it says that when we desire to be rich, we will fall into temptation. We will fall into temptation, into a snare. Okay, a snare, what it talks about here, is what in the Bible a fowler would use. A fowler is an Irish blood uh, bird catcher, okay? Not Irish, really, but that's what I am. So, um, so, uh, so what a snare was is, is something that caught birds, okay, and uh, or or animals, and it was hidden. You couldn't see it, and so they'd be walking along. Ding, 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 ding. Whoa, snare, right? And they couldn't see the snare, and the snare would catch them without them really even knowing it. And so, what happens is when we desire money too much, we have this unhealthy desire. We fall in temptation, okay, and then we get caught. Because we're blinded, we get caught, okay? And then this desire, as this desire for wealth, wealth captures us, we are, we are alive. The bird's alive in the snare, but he's not free. The bird's alive in the snare, but he's not free. And he doesn't know it because he's been blinded. Because he didn't see the trap, but he's in the trap. I'm going to explain more of how the enemy blinds us in a second. Because the enemy catches us. And when we're in this snare, Paul says that it leads to more evil desires, senseless and harmful desires. The desire to be rich, the desire to pursue wealth, often leads a person into a lot of other cravings. 
a lot of other sin. Well, when we have wealth, we feel like we have power over people. When we have wealth, we feel like we should be honored. When we have lots of wealth, we feel like we can say what we want to who we want because we don't need relationship. If we can provide for ourselves, take care of ourselves, we are allowed, we enable ourselves to move away from God because we got it going on. I don't need him. I'm taking care of myself to move away from people who would make us uncomfortable, out of community, out of family. And so a lot of these things, a lot of these things, including comfort, when we pursue wealth, including comfort and things that God intended to be good, get distorted, becomes me-focused. We become the center of the universe. We become what we work for, what we work to please instead of God and other people. So when we become... Me focused. Things like showing up at the street corner, we neglect. Or caring for the poor, we neglect. Or signing up for the children's ministry, we neglect. Because I need to be in worship. I want to be in worship. I need to rest on Saturday. I want to do these things. And we are robbed of becoming joyful givers, sacrificial givers. When you give away your wealth, it will cost you. It requires you to sacrifice. And when you're at the center of your universe, you don't feel the need to sacrifice. You don't want to sacrifice. You might think you do, but you don't do it. But you don't do it. And again, it's, it's because of these wounds we have. I need to take care of myself. I deserve this because... This person didn't give it to me, or I was hurt in this way. It says that these cravings, these passions, or lust are described to plunge people into ruin and destruction. And these words mean loss, okay? And meaning loss means that kind of this idea that, man, I want to seek riches because I think when I have riches, I can lean on those riches. I can find life. I'll be happy if I just had a little more money. Then, then, then I would be, you know, I'll feel taken care of. I don't care if I lose my job. And we believe all these things. And so we're after life. We're all after life to the full. We have been wired as God's children to be hungry for life. Okay? And so when we want riches in an unhealthy way, when we pursue riches in an unhealthy way, what happens is we don't get life. We actually, it comes, we lose life. That's what Paul's saying is you're going to lose life. You're not only going to get, not get life, you're going to lose more and more of life. You're going to fall into more and more harmful ways. The enemy is going to rob you of more and more. He has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And if you give him this, he is going to have free reign in your life. That's why Jesus talks a lot about money. He talks more about money than sexuality and sexual sin. He talks more about money than hell. He talks more about money than a lot of things because he knows what it can do to our heart. Look at this horrible path. I mean, this is not good, right? And so Paul says, if you desire wealth, it causes you to lose your footing and you fall. You get caught in that snare that leads you to more cravings, that leads you to more senseless, not smart, very stuff and harmless cravings that eventually plunge you into ruin and destruction, right? That's what happens. Nobody in this room hears that and be like, yes, money is worth it. Thank you very much. 
I will take money instead. It's okay if I have those things, right? No one hears that scripture and thinks that. Nobody in this room, because we're built for life, this is the gospel, this is the truth. And it makes sense that this happens because we see this in scripture. And many of us have experienced this in our life. And so no one would choose this, but yet we struggle with it. The very thing that we think money will bring, brings us the opposite. See, the enemy, when we might say, no way, this, I don't want this. Absolutely not. This is crazy. People who do this, they're crazy. I'm not like this. Right? He didn't do that. He's way more deceitful. Right now, there's people in the room, and you're thinking, I'm not rich, but I hope those rich people feel convicted today. Right? Some of y'all thinking that. Some of you are thinking, I'm not rich, and I, and I have wealth. I'm not rich, but you know, I just make some bank, and, and I don't have a love and this, this extorbitant desire for it. But I got it, so, you know, because I desire it, man, that's okay. Some of y'all thinking that. And some of you are thinking, I'm not rich as that other person, so I'm fine. I'm not rich as that other person, so I'm pretty good. I'm better than them, you know. Welcome to the law, right? Welcome to the law. If I do these things, then I'll be okay with God. And so we blow this message off. We blow this off. And the enemy wins, and he has this part of our heart that is very vulnerable. Again, this comes from wounds that we have. Because when I read this, in your heart, you know, you feel like, yes, this is right. I don't want to love money. I want to love Jesus. I want to find life in Jesus. But it says, it says here, when you do this, this will happen. When you love money, you will experience all kinds of evil in your life. And that evil could show up in your marriage. That evil could show up in relationships with friends. That, that, that evil could show up with anger and tension at your boss at work. Or your, the people who work, who you know that make more money than you, can show up there. There, there are lots of places that this evil can show up. And the enemy blinds us. He blinds us so we don't even see it. We don't even know it. And so we say these things, right? And so we feel like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Because the enemy has blinded us to how much we desire money. And so he traps us in this kind of snare that we don't see. That's why Paul used that word snare. It's because it's a trap that you don't see. You know, if, when it comes to adultery, if someone comes to me and they've committed adultery, they're like, dude, I committed adultery. I know I committed adultery. And I don't have to ask, like, how do you know that? Right? Because when someone says that, there's like, they know. They know when that happens. But when it comes to money, what's happening here, what Paul's saying is, it's a trap that you don't see, that you can get wrapped up in, and you don't even know what's happening. You don't even know that it's there. And so you continue to function and operate like everything is fine, like everything is good. But we get caught. Right here in this, in this scripture, it says, the word desire is a word that means drives or excessive desires. And it, and it has the connotation or meaning of addiction. Okay? And if you know or you've heard or you've seen someone in addiction, 
um, what happens is they start with a drug, okay? They start, they start like getting some crack, okay, or cocaine or whatever, and they get this high, right? They have a little bit of cocaine, and they get this high like, man, this is the bomb schnizzle. And then they go back, and they're like, I want to have the same high. And so they do it again, and then they go back the third time, and they're like, man, this doesn't, ha- this isn't having the same effect. This isn't having the same effect. So I need a little more. And so they have a little more to get the same effect. And this pattern, then they have a little more to get the same effect. They have a little more to get the same effect. And they're addicted to more. They're addicted to wanting to have more. And the same thing happens with money. The same thing happens to us. This is how we get blinded. It's like you start off with a little money. Maybe you're making minimum wage. And then you're like, man, this is amazing. I have enough to live on. I'm not supporting anyone. I can make this happen. And then you get a, a raise, right? And so you increase the quality of your life. And you buy things and you get things that before you didn't need. They weren't necessities. But because you are able to buy them, you do. And they become necessities. I have to have this. I really need this. And then it happens again. And then it happens again. And this pattern of needing, feeling like you need more, feeling like you deserve more, feeling like that you can have more, so I'm going to have more. Do you see the parallel here? And what happens is you become addicted to more. You become addicted to needing more money to get more things because you deserve them, because you can buy them. You know, one of the things that I do whenever I can't uh, counsel and with, with people and I, and Lord works with people on budgets is, um, we've seen this trend, uh, in, in probably the last 10 years of where people feel like they're entitled to things that they need things that they're like, this is a need, bro. And, and I mean, for example, it's like cable. Okay. Like when Laura and I just first got married, I made $14,000. You know, we lived in a house, she was in school and we were barely getting by. We cashed my check. We put it in an envelope. When it was gone, it was gone. And we would eat ramen noodles or whatever it took. Right. But we didn't have cable. We got no cable. But whenever we counsel people, we work with people. They're like, oh yeah, I got to have cable. 274 channels. That's a must in my life. Right. I need that. And we feel entitled to that. And so we spend money on that at the expense of spending money on something else. Laura and I, when we got married, I do this in every area of my life. I mean, every area of my life, I struggle with this. I have a motorcycle. I want to sell it and get a nicer one, right? True story, all right? And so, and so, and so we do this. Laura and I, when we were first married, we were up in Boston. Someone brought us up to Boston. I love lobster. And we're like, man, we're going to have lobster, all right? I'd already had it at the McDonald's, which is pretty good. McDonald's up there has lobster rolls. It was epic, right? And so, and so we started looking at restaurants. And again, we were not making any money. And we, we were looking at all these restaurants, and all of the meals were like 20 bucks. And Laura and I, this is ridiculous. Who would spend $20 on a flipping meal? And we made this pack. We're just like, all right, honey, we're never, ever going to spend more than $50 on a meal together. Never, ever right? But as we began to make money, and as we began to have more, we started to justify spending more money on meals. And we just went on our 25th anniversary, right? I bought a bottle of wine that was more than that. A drink. I bought a drink that was more than what we committed to spending on a whole meal. That's how we get trapped. That's an example of me getting 
trapped. Why? Because I want Laura to like me so we can have a great, you know, something, something, you know. And so buying wine, and it works against me because she's not, no, we got to save money. So it backfires on me. I start like love languaging her with my love language, right? So it prevents her from loving me with my love language that I like more than that love language. That's how we get trapped. We thank these things. We need these things. We think they're necessities. But they're not. They're not. They're not. We buy $3 bottles of wine now. Three buck chuck from Trader Joe's. It's good stuff. It's cheap. It works. Okay? What? I didn't mean it like that. Meaning that it tastes like wine and it's good and it's you people. I promise I did not mean that, honey. Don't let that work against me. And so what happens is we develop this dependence on money. And we start to feel like, well, I have all these things. And we put ourselves in a position where we have to pay for all these things. Because if we don't have these things, which we deserve or we think we're entitled to, we don't have these things, then then I'm going to feel whatever I'm going to feel. I'm going to feel insecure. I'm going to feel like, man, I, I don't know. If I don't have these things, I don't provide these things for myself, then who is? I can't trust God to. But when you give yourself to things of the world, to things of the flesh, you have to. There is a cost, a direct cost, for you not being able to give those things to the things that God wants you to give them to. Okay? You have a limited amount of money. If you spend 80% of your money on things that you need, you have 20% of thing, to give to things that you don't need, that are not necessities, one of which would be giving and tithing to the church. But if you are up in debt, if you are you know, down to, I have 1% to give away, not giving God your first fruits, but feeling this burden, you are not going to give to the church. You are not able to give to the church because you're trapped and you don't realize you're trapped. You're blinded by what's happening and you feel okay because you're like, these are necessities. I got to have these. Certainly God's going to understand. But again, the enemy's trapped you. He's lied to you. You believe the lie and you're stuck. You're stuck. And as a result, we wonder why we don't have life. Why don't I experience the things that the Bible talks about me experience? Why do I have anxiety and fear? In my life. Because you've turned from trusting the Father to giving you those things and providing those things from you for you to trusting in the world. Instead of going to the Father for comfort, we go to the world. Instead of going to the Father to get rid of our anxiety and ask, where's this coming from? What's going on? We go to the world. Instead of going to the Father to provide for our families, to provide for ourselves, to take care of us. We go to the world. We go to the world. And all of these are really trust issues. They're trust issues that we struggle with because of the wounds we've had. The wounds we've had from people in our life that have have shown us that you can't trust the Father. You know, in that story I told, what happened um, was... As I was being ministered to, that was, this was happening in prayer ministry. As I was being ministered to, the, the counselor that was working with me said, you know, Antley, where's Jesus? Where do you see Jesus in this scene? Because he's, 
do you see him in the room? And I said, yeah, I see him. He's sitting over on that couch next to my dad. And he says, and, and he says well, what's he saying to you? And he said, um, John, I love you. He was calling me by my first name, John, not Antley. And I said, um, and I told us, I was like, he's calling me John. And he's saying, he keeps calling me John, my name John. And then the Holy Spirit just drops a bomb on me, right? And I just lose it. I won't now, hopefully. But he says, Jesus says, I call you John for the same reason I called John in the Bible, John. And my mom told me I was named after John the Apostle, which means my beloved. And so Jesus was beginning the healing journey right there, getting me to begin to trust him right there, saying, my father loves you. I love you. John, you're my beloved. That's what was spoken to Jesus before his ministry began, before he did anything. He said, you're my beloved, Jesus, not based on anything you do. And when he spoke that to me, the free, I, I began to experience a little freedom. I began to trust that a little more. And Jesus wants that for us. He wants us to trust him. In Matthew 6, again, Jesus talks about this all through scripture. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall I eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. When we trust Jesus, when we trust the Father with our hearts, we receive and are promised eternal life. We are promised that he will take care of us. We are promised that we cannot outgive him, that you cannot give any amount of money as he calls you to give it, nothing that you will outgive him or that he will not be able to make up or that he will not provide and take care of you. There is no amount. There is no amount. And this, there is no percentage Okay, there's no percentage. This is between you and the Spirit. What is the Spirit saying to you that you need to give so that you will demonstrate you trust the Father? That you will demonstrate that you worship the Father? That you're more interested in building His kingdom than you are in building yours? How much is that amount? It's different for all of us. And if you're in debt, that will look different. If you have lots of money and how you leverage that, it will look different. If you're in school... That will look different. If you have parents that you're living under, that will look different. Okay, and so our responsibility, our role is to come to Jesus. Show him, open our hearts, be vulnerable with him. Say, I want to trust you. I want to trust you with all of my life. I want to be healed in this area of my life. I want to find life to the full in you. I'm tired of the enemy killing me in this area, creating anxiety in me. I'm tired of it, Jesus. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. My burden is light. My burden is light. Yoke yourself with me, and I will take the burden that you're carrying off you. 
just before the service, someone said, I want to come pray for you. And they said, Antley, this is not your burden. This is not your burden. Listen to the Lord and say what the Lord says. That's what Jesus says. Kathy, this is not your burden to carry. This financial thing, this worry, that's not your burden. Your burden, you come to me and I'll give you what you need. Grace, you don't have to worry. You should not have anxiety. If I do this in the fields and this with the birds and they don't do anything, certainly I'll, I'll care for you. You are the pinnacle of my creation. You are created in my image. I love you. You're my beloved. Jesus was the only one in creation that God turned his back on, truly turned his back on, moved away from, crushed him, is what scripture says, for our sake. He turned away from him, the provision, all the things that he has rescued us for, from, Jesus took on so that we wouldn't have to. How do we know that we can trust the Father? Because Jesus was killed so that we, could, that we could. Jesus killed fear. Jesus killed anxiety. Killed anxiety. Jesus killed everything, trust, that we struggle with. Every wound that we have, Jesus is capable of and wants to heal in our life. Every single thing. And the reason we know that we can trust that that is true is because he gave his life for us. He graciously gave everything for you. Everything. How do we know that he calls us to be gracious? Because we can't outgive him. Because he has shown us the most gracious thing. No greater love has a man that he lays down his life for another. He has laid down his life for us so that we can lay down our life for others. So that we can give in a way that there's no fear. So that we can give in a way and trust the Father knowing that he turned away from Jesus so that he is unable to turn away from us. God is unable not to provide for you. God is unable to leave you without. God is unable to not heal you. He can only heal you. He can only provide. He can only take care of you because of what Christ suffered on the cross. And so when Jesus says, come to me, the invitation is come to me so that you can experience and trust my father. You can experience his love and trust my father and find freedom from these things in our life. When it comes to giving, the way that we demonstrate we trust him is by giving. There's no other way. If you think about giving, that's not trusting him. The only way you demonstrate that you trust the Father in this area of your life is to give. And so what I hope in the next two weeks you begin to consider is freedom in this area talking and praying with people about freedom in this area. Lord, what are you saying to me? How can I trust you? How can I give? What do I need to give up so that I can give to you, so that I can trust you? What, what, I mean, I mean, Jesus says this. Like, what if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? What's up with that? Nothing good in that. Nothing good at all. Next week, I'm going to talk more specifically about what does this look like in a practical way. But between now and them, I ask that you would seek the Lord. I ask that you would pray about this. I ask that you would repent. That you would come to him and repent. Because we know there's forgiveness. When things come into the light, God begins to move in power. 
He does things that you can't imagine. Let's stand.